From Wisconsin Public Radio and PRI, Public Radio International, it's to the best of our knowledge. I'm Jim Fleming. When times are tough, there's a certain kind of story that comes into its own. Myths, legends, fairy tales. Stories that have stood the test of time, and then some. Stories that have been around so long they've become living repositories of wisdom. Proof that our ancestors survived worse. Reminders that no matter how bad things get, we still live in an enchanted world. That wishes really do come true, and that impossible things can happen before breakfast. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Once upon a time, there was a king who didn't have any ministers. Ram's father had four wives. Three wives. Three wives. Four sons. There's something about these worlds that is deeply different from ordinary reality. Here is the opportunity for the child to become a hero. Voldemort has chosen Draco Malfoy for a mission. What does it mean, Gandalf? But first, we've got a birthday to celebrate. It's been a hundred years since Ratty, Mole, Badger, and the wicked Mr. Toad first stepped off the page and into the imagination. Like this. The Mole had been working very hard all the morning, spring-cleaning his little home. First with brooms, then with dusters, then on ladders and steps and chairs, with a brush and a pail of whitewash. Spring was moving in the air above and in the earth below and around him, penetrating even his dark and lowly little house with its spirit of divine discontent and longing. The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham was an instant bestseller when it was published, and it remains one of the most beloved children's stories of all time. It's inspired everyone from the creator of Winnie the Pooh to Pink Floyd, There's a brand-new annotated version of the classic, just out, edited by Annie Gauger, one of the world's leading experts on The Wind in the Willows. She told Steve Paulson that when Kenneth Graham wrote it, he tapped into something primal. It's sort of a return to your bucolic roots, or a wish to get back to the land. And Graham, at his time, really wanted to get back into the country, into the land. He had become a Londoner for many, many years. And I think the same with our generation at this time now. We also long for the land and a small town in England or a small river bank, someplace close and not cluttered with traffic and noise. Now, did this come from Kenneth Graham's own life? I mean, you you said that he had spent a lot of time living in London Did he himself spend much time out in nature? Well, yes, of course. He was born in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and shuffled off to Cookham Dean in southern England. And there he was in this beautiful riverside town, very happy and content as a little boy. And then at the age of eight, he was then packed up and sent to Oxford to go to boarding school, which is very, very common in England and was at that time. And so if you've ever spent any time in Oxford, it's this big cake of a city, but it's little because you can walk two blocks and there you are in this cow pasture with a river running through it. So he really was very much surrounded by nature. He was then sent off as a young man of college age to get a post as a clerk in the Bank of 